Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, thank you. And thank you for this invitation to speak for a third time uh, at the convention. Must have done something right before. Uh, so you've already had a little introduction to me. Um, in, uh, in 1992, having uh, finished a brief time serving on the staff uh, here in this church in Hamilton Road, Presbyterian, I left the UK to work in Taiwan with OMF. And in my first few years, I learned to speak Mandarin, which was good. I found a wife, Lucy, which was even better. Uh, she's Taiwanese. Uh, and since then, I've worked in churches doing um, evangelism and Bible teaching uh, and church planting. And then seven years ago, I lost an election and they made me the field director. So I've been overseeing missionaries, so either church planting or working amongst marginalized people, such as the handicapped, um, ex-prisoners, prostitutes, orphans. Uh, and also, we have uh, missionaries who are reaching out to students at Taiwan's lower-tier universities. Uh, many, many colleges in Taiwan that are, are practically untouched by the gospel. So my wife, Lucy, was looking forward to being here this week, but she had to return to Taiwan in May to care for her mother. And her mother passed away last Friday. So please remember her in your prayers. And uh, we have one daughter, Naomi, who's currently finishing her first year of a PhD in breast cancer research at Manchester. And you can see I'm really proud of her, so I had to say that. So my task tonight is to share something about Taiwan, its spiritual situation, and the ministry that OMF are doing there. In the last month, Ty uh, last couple of months, Taiwan has been in the news with speculations of imminent invasion coupled with predictions of the start of World War III, so much so that you probably all have a good idea where it is, which is a good start. I want to give you something, a bit of the background uh, to the church in Taiwan. In the 1950s, the Republican army of Chiang Kai-shek retreated to the island of Taiwan. At that time, a few million refugees from China fled there, including many Christians and foreign missionaries. They arrived to find that the main established church in Taiwan was the Presbyterian Church, and that it used the local language, Taiwanese, a different language and a different culture to the one that they used in their churches in China. Uh, many people have told me that all over the world, the Presbyterians have a different language and a different culture. <laughs> Uh, the arriving Christians started their own Mandarin-speaking churches, which grew rapidly amongst the displaced mainlanders. For about 10 or 15 years, there was fast church growth. And by the 60s, Taiwan had many different churches. But there was a strong division between the churches that came from China, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Lutherans, and those original Taiwanese-speaking Presbyterian churches. That division was cultural, racial, and political. Many Presbyterians were killed or arrested during the time of martial law when they opposed the Kuomintang government, uh, whereas many Christians in the other denominations were strong government supporters. 
I think that strong political divisions and the damage they brought to the church is probably something that folks in Northern Ireland can understand a lot better than other people. When I arrived in Taiwan in the early 1990s, I had a bit more hair than I have now. Um, some of that division was still seen in the churches. But over the last 30 years, a new generation of church members have arisen who are far less concerned with the historical divisions. The church has grown in Taiwan. New independent denominations have arisen that have grown significantly. The number of evangelicals has, has grown with figures between 3 and 4% being quoted by researchers. God is growing his church in Taiwan, a church which has struggled through division, but today is reaching out all over the island and sending missionaries to join God's mission around the world. So for that reason, in the early 2000s, OMF decided that we would focus on ministry to a part of the population that was not being reached by the growing churches in Taiwan's megacities. Uh, I want to use the rest of the time to share a few simple things that we have been learning as we focused on reaching out to the working class and the marginalized. It wasn't a new initiative for us. Missionaries in the 50s and 60s had been doing leprosy work in Taiwan. In the 70s and 80s, they'd been working with tribal people. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, they worked with uh, the huge numbers of young people living in the huge uh, industrial factory zones. But from 2000 onwards, this has been our passion to reach out to the working class. And I want to give you some insights into the work in Taiwan, but perhaps make you think a little bit about your own outreach in Northern Ireland or, or wherever it is you go to church. Many of Taiwan's working class follow uh, traditional folk religion practices. If you walk into a large Taiwanese temple, your, your senses will be stimulated by the bright colors and the complex collection of elaborate carved idols representing hundreds of different gods. And on festival days, you'll be deafened by the sounds of, of firecrackers, the clanging of cymbals, and more recently, the, the hip-hop music that accompanies the gods as they're paraded through the streets. When people worship the gods in Taiwan, it's mostly because they're looking for protection. If their son has an important exam, they'll place a copy of his student ID in front of the, the god of literature. If their daughter is having a baby, they will go and petition the goddess, the goddess of births and marriages for a safe delivery, preferably of a son, of course. Don't want a daughter. If they have... That's their bias, not mine. <laughs> uh, if, they, if they have bad luck, they might choose a God famous for dealing with evil spirits and ghosts. For Christian workers in that situation, where people are open to many different faiths, something more simple than a statement such as, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, is needed when it comes to evangelism. Who is this God? Uh, and why was he care for me? What do you even mean by the term God? We realize that when sharing about Christianity, our starting point has to be not the Gospels, 
of the New Testament, but the creation stories of the Old Testament. As we speak to those whose concept of God, of deity and morality, and the relationship between God and humanity are starting from a very different place. So I want to tell you the story of Abi. Abi was a, a truck driver in the city of Jai. His wife was a Christian, but he had no interest in the Christian faith. He would drive his wife to church, but he wouldn't go in because he chain-smoked and he knew that smoking wasn't allowed in church. But a group of OMF missionaries rented an office in downtown Jai, and they invented, invited some men, men like Abi, to come in the evenings and to drink tea and to chat. Uh, and because it was an office, they could smoke. And as the group became friends, the missionaries began to tell Bible stories. And Abi found himself attracted to the message of Jesus. Oops. However, there was a problem. As a child, he had been very ill and near death when his family had prayed to an idol of the god Wang Ye. Abi felt indebted to this God and to this idol, which he kept in his own living room. So he took out his divination blocks. Oops, that's what they look like. Uh, a way of asking questions from the God. And he asked the idol, is Jesus a real God? And he threw the blocks and it landed one down and one up. That was a yes. So he asked again. He said, is Jesus more powerful than you? And he threw the blocks and the answer came, yes, he is. So he asked the, the God, well, can I believe in Jesus and become a Christian? And he threw the blocks and the answer was no. Two down, just like that. So, so then he asked the question, well, if I pay to have you put in a big temple, this idol, and worshipped every day, then, it, then would it be okay for me to become a Christian? He threw the blocks, and the answer was no. Now, it sounds funny. What a silly thing to do. But realize that's the only prayer that, that he'd had for most of his life, the only God that he'd known. And... The decision that came controlled the rest of his life. Abi felt he could not disrespect this God and perhaps was afraid that if he did, the God might harm him or his family. So he abandoned the idea of becoming a Christian. And only many years later, when he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, did he realize how futile it was to follow this God. And so he became a Christian in the last months of his life. In a situation where there are so many gods to choose from, it's important that we make people aware that our God is not just one equally valid option amongst many. But you know, that's true in the West as well. We need to be so careful to avoid presenting the gospel as just one way to have a happy life or to get our needs met. We can be so afraid of offending other religions or ideologies that we can give the impression that Christianity is just one lifestyle choice rather than a matter of life and death. A missionary called Paul Hebert, while serving uh, in India, observed that many upper and middle class people, including missionaries, had a worldview that divides everything into two sort of worlds. 
There's the, the spiritual world with gods and spirits and angels uh, and heaven. And there's the physical world with humans and animals and all that we see and touch. Uh, and with this way of thinking, the gods that you worship, if you're a Christian, uh, the god that you worship seems to be quite far away from the human world and not related to it. You've got to go to a special place to worship. You've got to use special language not people's everyday language. And no matter if it was Christianity or Buddhism or Hinduism, it seemed that most working class people, this type of religion didn't suit them. And what Hebert found was that for the working class in many countries, they have a worldview that emphasizes the overlap, the middle between the spiritual and the material. The gods they worship were not holy and powerful, but more like us. Easier to talk to, easier to ask for help. And they're also afraid of ghosts and evil spirits that they believe would influence their lives. They wouldn't think that the spiritual world and the material world was separate. So when they had bad luck, they would ask a God for help. And Hebert said, if you want to share the gospel with these people, then you must let them see that God really cares about their daily lives and can give them real peace and can influence the hardship in their lives. My wife and I served in a church plant in Jai County. And there was a lady, Mrs. Lee, who came to our church every week, but we hardly ever saw her husband. They ran a chicken farm with thousands of chickens. One Sunday, Mrs. Lee was not at church, so after the service, my wife rang her to see if she was okay, and she said there'd been an unexpected power outage with temperatures of around 35 degrees centigrade. This was a disaster because the chicken houses were filled with fans, and they had electric water supply, and none of this was working, and the chickens were already dying, and they were told it could be 24 hours before this was fixed. So my wife suggested we pop in on our way back from church and pray for them, and that's what we did. Although when we arrived, Mr. Lee didn't look very enthusiastic. He wanted to get back to his chickens. However, after we got home, there was an excited call from Mrs. Lee saying that just as we were leaving in the car, the electricity had come back on, and they had been saved from financial disaster. The following Sunday... Mr. Lee came to church, and he kept coming. He'd not been interested in the God that his wife worshipped at the church, but he was interested in a God who could save his chickens. Now, of course, he still needed to know who this God was, and that there's only one true God. But I think there's a challenge for us here. How much in the way we live our lives and the way we talk about our faith do we show that we worship a God who's relevant to the people around us? Do we show that he's concerned with work, with parenting, with health, with financial issues that people care about? Or do we give the impression that Christianity is more like a weekend hobby, a social club like sailing or football? One of the biggest challenges in reaching out to the working class uh, is the middle-class culture of the church. When, when my daughter attended Taiwanese elementary school, there was a boy in the class, let's call him Ahua. He was from a very poor family, and he was being raised by grandparents. Every day, um, he would go to cram classes to practice for tests. 
But when he went home, he would do it, uh, the, the other kids would go, but Ahua would go home and, and do his homework in front of the TV. Uh, and he always came last in the tests. And at the age of seven, he was being taught that he was worth nothing. He was a failure. For the rest of his life, he would never feel comfortable sitting in rows in classrooms with books in front of him and a teacher speaking at the front. This would always feel like a place where he was not valued. Imagine him some years later. For some reason, he decides to go to church. Don't know why. He's standing outside and he's seeing the church members arriving and he begins to feel nervous because they're all arriving in expensive cars. They're smartly dressed. They're different from him. He stands there in his cheap night market clothes, smoking a cigarette. He plucks up the courage to go in and he's welcomed at the door by a well-dressed, friendly lady who hands him a visitor's card to write down his email. And he doesn't really like writing and he doesn't have an email. And he goes into the church where the, there are rows of pews with lots of books and Bibles and hymn books. And there's a preacher at the front who's going to talk without interruption for 45 minutes. And he's desperate for a cigarette. And then the service ends and everyone talks to their friends and nobody talks to him. Do you think he'll ever come back? Do you think he'd ever go in the first place? Well, God can do so much more than we ask or imagine, but it helps if we consider the culture of our church. And how are we to reach out to people outside of that culture? Jesus commands us to go, and to go where the people are. And that's why OMF is starting churches around Taiwan that are, that are aimed at reaching the, the people where they are and meeting their needs. So in Taipei, we have a shop workers church that has services at 10.30 at night on Sunday and midweek because that's when people finish work. And in other parts of Taiwan, our, our flexible meeting styles are there to meet the needs of other kinds of workers, factory workers or farmers. Let's see a, a very brief video of some ministry in one of our church plants. Among the whole Taiwan, there are some places um, that they have uh, less Christian church uh, and less Christian. Zhanghua um, is one of the, ta uh, the, the county, and Puxin is one of the townships. So we want to see a church in every village and disciples in every family. One of the boys, when we first met him, he was about like 12 or 13 years old. When we do uh, Sunday worship at home on Sunday morning, he was just sit next, like away, away from us and playing Legos. It is very hard to get him to involved or get him on board with what we are reading, what we are discussing in the Bible. After three years, he can lead our Bible's discussion. He can uh, lead us to pray. Uh, he can share the hymns with us and sing with us. And I'm so joyful to see this and witness this happening, that God um, is not um, uh, giving up on anyone. We open our house um, for Sunday morning uh, for anyone that who is interested uh, to learn about um, from the Bible. We sing the hymns together, we read the Bible together, we pray together, and we enjoy our fellowship. We have a lunch together. 
for farmers, uh, they need to get up at, at four or five and start doing some farming job. It will be very hard for them to clean up themselves, finish their work on the field and then going over uh, to our church, uh, our house to do worship together. So we will say we start um, our church service start at 10, but we have people come in uh, maybe like um, in the next 15 minutes or the next 30 minutes and people will start coming in and joining us. Many of our ministry, preaching the word or counseling or training happens in people's houses or people's workplace. Um, and so this way people will have a lot of examples and precedents knowing that, oh, ministry can happen in my house, even if, if it's unpresentable. Um, so that leads to the vision. We want to see a church in every village. The ministry location center doesn't have to be one place in one township. It can happen in across the township. The couple speaking in the video tell us a lot about modern missions. Jason and Hai Win are Australian Chinese with a Cantonese-speaking background. Uh, today, I lead a team of 70 workers in Taiwan from over 14 different countries, but over half of them have Asian faces. Some are sent out from uh, Singapore or uh, Korea or Indonesia, but many of them are also from Asian churches in Australia and the US. And in the future, we hope that God will give us an even more diverse missionary community with workers from South America and Africa and Eastern Europe working alongside and in partnership with Taiwanese Christians to reach out to this least reached segment of Taiwan's population. There is a need for more workers in this growing, uh, in this ministry in Taiwan. Pray for the Lord of the Harvest to raise up workers from both overseas and amongst the Taiwanese. And if the need is great in Taiwan, where the church is growing in the cities, imagine how much more in other parts of Asia where it's a struggle to reach even the middle class. Imagine how hard it is in countries where you can't openly do ministry because of politics or because of religious power. If you want to learn more, come and talk to us at the OMF stand in the Global Village afterwards. But a closing thought, what about the UK? How well do you think we're doing at reaching out to the working class and the marginalized? I think we'll only begin to see a decline in the number of missionaries sent out from the UK when the church here faces up to the challenge around them to reach the lost and to reach the working class and the refugees and the foreign students to pray for the needs of others in the world and to understand that the church is meant to be a key part of God's mission, to be compelled, to be involved. Thank you for listening. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.